I love traders that are ego-less. I like people with a Zen personality, uh, people that, uh, that are actually coming to work, taking off their shoes, sitting with T-shirt, and just trying to be one with the market in, in a very Zen way. We have to be very sensitive to, to feel the flow, the right flow, and to feel what is right. For this, you have to create a lot of uh, self-awareness and see how you blend in right in the market. Hi, this is journalist Caroline Stephen, and this is episode 291 of Talking Trading. Our special guest on the podcast today is Gil Ben-Hur from The Fivers. Gil and I have a great conversation on the key mental tools needed for trading. We go into detail into the primitive psychology behind why taking trading losses is so hard. We talk on the challenges for traders who work from home. And then Gil describes the attributes of successful traders. I love this part, especially what he says about Zen personalities. With coronavirus still on the march and affecting the markets, Chris Tate looks at the nature of mania and bubbles in a fantastic Did You Know segment as he looks at the phenomenon of the South Sea bubble. And Louise Bedford today names trading games unsung hero Angus Mitchell and spells out exactly what a side hustle can do for your life. Let's hear Louise now. Our unsung hero for today is Angus Mitchell. Angus, you have had an amazing career as a medico and the thing that I have really appreciated is that never once did you rely on the halo effect. The halo effect is where we develop proficiency in one field and we think it should translate automatically to the next field of endeavour. You didn't say, because I have studied and excelled in one area, of course I'll have to be a fantastic trader. No, you decided to start with that naive expectation that it's going to be tricky and I'm having to start from scratch. It's been wonderful to watch you develop, to see your trading plan grow with precision and to see you execute your trading plan in such an automatic way. And I just adore it when people can develop a side hustle from their main line. Whatever business we're in, whatever profession we've decided to pursue, once we've developed a side hustle, some extra cash flow outside of that main line profession, it gives us confidence. It gives us the ability to say no to the unreasonable requests of an employer. And it gives us that little bit of extra spring in our step so that we know we can handle situations as they arise. I don't know if there's any amount of money that could actually buy that, but I can tell you, developing a trading career, developing your plan and executing it with precision will give you that spring in your step. Well done, Angus. Today you are our unsung hero. Hi, I'm Axel Kibar from TechCharts. I listen to Talking Trading. Mania and bubbles in the markets aren't new. Let's hear Chris Tate in Did You Know and the South Sea Bubble. 
The issue with modern traders is that they believe that they are seeing and doing everything for the first time. And this applies to their engagement in the market. This applies applies to their observation of bubbles. So in this respect, they're a little bit like teenagers who believe that they have discovered having sex in the back of the car, when it's actually been going on since Henry Ford made the mass market car affordable. And heaven forbid, their parents probably did the same thing and thought the same thing. This ignorance of the history of markets and those who've gone before reflects a deeper malaise among traders since so few modern traders are actually students of the market. Being a a student of the history of the market teaches you so much more about trading than the cloistered confines of the internet and talking heads on TV. And it is so much more meaningful than looking for the next magic super-duper indicator or responding to some idiot's infomercial. So if we go back to the South Sea bubble, this is not the first crash to have occurred. The first crash to have occurred will be a topic for a later discussion. But the South Sea bubble shares so many features with what we associate as being thoroughly modern that it deserves some investigation. The South Sea bubble revolved around the trading activities of the South Sea Company, which was founded in 1711, and it was created as a public-private partnership to consolidate and reduce the cost of national debt. Its main line of business, in fact its only line of business really, was slavery. The company was granted a monopoly to trade with South America, hence its name. At the time it was created, Britain was involved in the War of Spanish Succession and Spain controlled South America. When initially issued, the company's stock had a guaranteed interest rate of 6% and it did sell well. But the subsequent peace treaty between Spain and Britain was less favourable than many had hoped for in that it imposed an annual tax on imported slaves and it only allowed the company to send one shipment each year for general trade. So it was quite a restrictive little business arrangement that the South Sea Company had got themselves into. The first voyage occurred in 1717 but was only moderately successful. Things began to change from that point on though because King George I became governor of the company in 1718. As you would expect, this created confidence in the enterprise. The yield, the rate of return from the stock, moved quickly towards 100%. You can see how this would be unsustainable in the real world. But you also see something deeper. You see the unhealthy relationship between government and business that has become part of what we consider the modern way of doing business. Having a member of the royal family involved in your company could be considered the ultimate form of lobbying and is certainly a match for any of the lobbying that a modern-day spiv would do. In 1720, there was an incredible boom in the South Sea stock as a result of the company's proposal, which was accepted by Parliament, to take over the management of the national debt. It should be remembered that at this time the functioning government treasuries was extremely unsophisticated and at the time it depended upon things like lotteries to raise funds. So you have a very, very embryonic financial system. You have a very, very naive way of doing things. So the attraction of appointing an instrumentality like the South Sea Company to take this over for you was very, very attractive. And it wasn't long before bucket shots spruiking the shares were popping up everywhere 
and investors, both large and small, were encouraged to borrow to buy shares. So margin lending and the problems that it brings inside mania is not a new thing. It is not something that was suddenly invented in the run-up to the tech reg of 2000. This sort of behaviour has been going on for millennia. So when you think you're doing something new or seeing something new, you're not actually doing so. However, by September of that year, the market had collapsed. And by December, South Sea shares were down to £124. They had been over £1,000. So they'd taken a staggering hit. And at the same time, they'd taken both government and other stock with them. So the panic that afflicted them spread like contagion throughout the market. As you would expect, many investors were ruined and the House of Commons ordered an inquiry into how this had occurred. This showed that at least three ministers had accepted bribes and had speculated on the company's share ahead of information that they held. Many of the company's directors were disgraced. This is the sort of behaviour you would expect to see in New South Wales politicians. But New South Wales politicians were clearly not doing it first. The scandal brought Robert Walpole, who is generally considered to be the first modern British Prime Minister to power. His platform was one of seeking out all those who had been responsible for the scandal. But in the end, he only sacrificed a few of those involved to preserve the reputation of the government. The South Sea Company itself survived until 1853, having sold most of its rights to the Spanish government nearly a century earlier. The intriguing thing about the South Sea bubble is that it shares so many features with modern bubbles. The company never had a realistic expectation of making any money. In fact, there never seems, looking at the historical documentation, any intention of making money. It was set up effectively almost like a giant pump and dump scheme. Directors of the company tried to mix personal business with the business of the company. John Harley, who had been one of the directors of the company, attempted to ship personal goods on company ships. This has shades of Brian Quinn and Coles Meyer using company workmen for private business. The company had very, very close ties with politicians who spruiked the company and who sought to profit from it in a way that would make modern politicians very proud. The company itself, instead of undertaking its business, spent most of its time actually talking about share price in much the same manner that internet companies did more than a decade ago. The intriguing thing about this is, to me, it highlights that there is nothing new. Everything repeats itself. So when you think you are seeing and doing something for the first time, many, many others have gone before you. And it is only in being a student of the market you can actually understand this. When you actually start to get out and look at what went before you, do you understand that these things occurred? And this can best be summed up in the phrase that what has been will be again, what has been done will be done again, there is nothing new under the sun. The Fivers is a trading talent recruiting program aimed at finding qualified traders for a private fund. It was established by two former professional Forex traders and we speak to one of them today, Gil Ben-Hur. I'm talking with Gil Ben-Hur from the Fivers, all the way from Israel where butterfly season is due, and we're discussing managing risk 
in an unexpected environment and key mental tools that help traders deal better with the situations the market puts them through. Gil, hello and welcome to Talking Trading. Hello, Karine, and thank you for hosting me. It's a real pleasure. Tell us, why is taking a trading loss almost an inhuman task? We are, as humans, we are um, really trained to be winners at everything we do. We are uh, seeing sports. Sports sports athletes are our role models. And we are being taught from a very early age to be achievers. And in, in most areas in life and things that we practice from childhood is, is are things that um, there is a definite definition for what is, what is winning and what is losing. If you see sports, sports is a very symmetrical arena where you actually have a referee that convicts if you are lost or not, if you play soccer, if, if you scored uh, your opponent, you know you have one point. However, in trading, taking a loss is abstract and theoretically uh, until you actually decide to take it. So um, many people are being uh, very confused of how what would be the right practice because it's okay to be in a certain drawdown at some point with your trade, but for for how long? What will be that point that you have to convict for yourself that a loss is a loss? And um, because we are well trained to not give up and to be achievers and to fight for our success, when we're taking these qualities into trading, something is not right because the market doesn't care for us. We are transparent for the market. The challenge here is how can I say to myself to that this drawdown is enough for me to take? And how can I tell myself, okay, now you're going to lose money and you have to press the button and make that abstract loss a real loss this is a very hard thing for you to be your own referee and say i surrender surrender is such a good word i've actually taken five trades just recently that have all been losses and it's still a hard feeling still and i actually think it lowers my level of testosterone to get back into the market (laughs) yeah you do you agree with that it is it is it is and this is what is I think the hardest challenge in trading is that uh, um, first, most of traders that we are involved in, with are people that are actually trading themselves. They are setting offices at home or they are just working in small groups. They don't um, work in um, a professional environment, most of us, most of the retail traders. And so you don't have any any manager um, telling you what is the policy and how to take uh, uh, the right action at some times. And you have to always be your own boss. People think it's a good thing, but mm-hmm. being your own boss is harder than just having a boss because all the responsibility is on your shoulders. And uh, and and. 
managing our own ego while we are so occupied <laughs> in so many emotions and uh, managing ourselves in a professional and uh, way and in counterintuitive environment, it's very, very hard not being in uh, a professional environment. So is this what you say is hard about setting up a business where the unknown and the unexpected is a factor? Absolutely, because every day you come to work, you don't know what will be the outcome. Mm. And um, if this is your routine and for every day this is um, what you do, you really have to be prepared for the worst. And um, and in in the in our fund, we uh, escort a lot of traders, and we see all variety of uh, traders' mentality. And sadly, say that many traders uh, are not coming well prepared for this at, with this attitude. And I think the key here to be prepared is that you always um, tell yourself that you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how the market will change it, its uh, mm-hmm. behavior and, uh, and you leave room for error and uh, whatever losses that you're willing to take, whatever risk that you're willing to take, you have to know that uh, if it's being taken, it must be recoverable. Yes. And um, yes. this is something that a lot of people are missing, that very crucial spot. Yes. Just very, very quickly, just give us some words, some key words that describe successful traders. I love uh, traders that are ego-less. Yep. Um, yep. Um, I like people with a Zen personality. Nice. Uh, people that, uh, that are actually coming to work, uh, taking off their shoes, um, sitting with a T-shirt and, and just trying to be one with the market in, in a very Zen way. We have to be very sensitive and uh, to, to feel the flow, the right flow and to feel what is right. And yes. for this, you have to create a lot of uh, self-awareness and see how you blend in right in the market because most of us are retail traders whatever we um, send to the market is not going to affect price we don't have that tool to manipulate price we have to ride waves that are existing and for that we are more uh, we, we have to be uh, better listeners and better viewers to ourselves and to uh, and and to the waves that you want to ride on, and so, yeah, this is why I really um, um, believe in people with a Zen personality when they come with uh, with uh, some sort of calmness to the market, and they expect um, and and they can be modest with what they expect to take from the market. And uh, and and they come with patience, and they know it's a it's it's a long runner um, theme. This is uh, this is my view. Where can people find out more about you? Is there anything you'd like to offer them? Um, 
Actually, um, we are um, running uh, the five percenters. It's a funding traders uh, and growth program. Um, it's sometimes uh, being called property trading fund, but we're not property trading fund. We are actually a funding traders program. I think we offer a very interesting um, program for traders that are feeling um, mature and ready to uh, be actually trading for uh, as, a, as, as, as professionals and trading for um, for a firm, for a fund. Um, I think if uh, anyone would uh, come to our website, uh, they will learn about our opportunity and they can decide from it. I think where our opportunity that we provide to traders is uh, very unique. Um, what is your website? And, uh, it's thefivers.com. It's uh, the number five ers.com it's rely on the um on the myth that only five percent are profitable so that's uh how we derived our name but um, um lately we realized that uh there are at least in our room uh there are more than five percent gil all the way from israel what a pleasure to speak with you thanks for coming on to talking trading thank you thank you caroline And that's all from Talking Trading this week. Stay tuned next week to hear Andrew Aziz from Bull Bear Traders. I'm Caroline Stephen. Happy trading. As always, if you like this show, please be sure to tell a friend. This is super important because word of mouth is the most powerful way that people can get in touch with us. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcast and make sure you give us a big fat five-star review because it helps people find us. You'll also notice that Talking Trading doesn't use sponsors and barely advertisers. This is because Chris Tate and Louise Bedford fund this show from tradinggame.com.au. If you'd like to get Louise's five-part free e-course, register at tradinggame.com.au. So until next week, happy trading. The views represented on Talking Trading are generally nature and do not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Before acting on any of the information, consider its appropriateness in regards to your own situation. Want to know the hottest sectors in the Aussie market? Now's your chance. Download my free Hot or Not special report from tradinggame.com.au slash hot or not. That website again tradinggame.com.au slash hot or not.